It's the Kim Monson Show, analyzing the most important stories. I find that it takes work to get your brain around these ideas, and it takes work to engage in these conversations. The latest in politics and world affairs. With what is happening down at the State House, I used to think that it was above my pay grade to read the legislation, and it's not. Today's current opinions and ideas. I see big danger in as much as we will be giving an unelected bureaucrat the power to make rules about what we inject into our body. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured, valued, you have purpose. Today, strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, you were made for this moment. And uh, we are at a moment in history for sure. And uh, we need to step into this, understand what's going on, and engage in this battle of ideas <clears throat> with our friends, our family, our colleagues, our neighbors, uh, and uh, we really need to get uh, get involved in this. And I get to work with a great team. That's producer Steve, Zach, <clears throat> excuse me, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, Echo, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. Uh, and I hope I said Keith as well. Uh, I get to work with a lot of great people. Check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity. By looking at these issues through this lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you should not have to force people to do it. And my friends, it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff, whether it's their rights, their property, their freedom, or their livelihood via force, whether with a weapon, policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, or that latest silent thief, which is government-induced inflation. And of course, there's the Davos elitists that think that they should uh, dictate how we live our lives as well, and uh, doing that through public policy. And uh, so, um, again, it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff. Uh, Our quote for today is from Marcus Aurelius, and he was born in, uh, let's see, 121. He died in 180. He was a Roman emperor uh, and Stoic philosopher. He was the last of the rulers known as the five good emperors and the last emperor of the Pax Romana, an age of relative peace and stability for the Roman Empire, lasting from 27 BC to 180 AD. And this is what he said. He said, when you arise in the morning, think of what a precious privilege it is to be alive, to breathe, to think, to enjoy, to love. And again, Marcus Aurelius, when you arise in the morning, think of what a precious privilege it is to be alive, to breathe, to think, to enjoy, and to love. Uh, I really think, uh, I mean, that really, I think we, uh, there's so much to be grateful for. Even though we see things that we're very concerned about out there on the agenda, there is so much to be grateful for. And uh, here he was back many, many years ago thinking about that. Um, our bill of the day, I want to go over to this. And this is what Roger Hayes with Pasio HR and I were talking about uh, earlier this week. And um, it is Senate Bill 22-234 regarding unemployment compensation. And it does have bipartisan support, Senators Chris Hansen, Democrat, and Bob Rankin, Republican, and Representatives David Ortiz and Mark Schneider, they're both Democrats. 
And uh, Patty noted, this is the bill that we were talking about earlier this week. And our unemployment trust fund is over a billion dollars in debt to the federal government. This bill requires the state to contribute $600 billion. But to Patty's point, and also to Roger Hayes' point earlier this week, says, why is the state not using COVID relief funds uh, to its fullest and pay off this debt instead of placing the burden on businesses unless they want more businesses to close due to its failure to pay more state taxes? Because it looks like ultimately, and as I'm trying to read the summary, uh, it it's complicated. It looks very complicated, but it looks like they're going to issue bonds. And so somebody ultimately has to pay those bonds. And uh, I think that's going to come down to businesses. And again, our small businesses have been under such attack. The other thing in here, and this was one of the things that Roger talked about as well, is that it will make it uh, um, that unemployment funds are available to uh, illegal aliens, undocumented workers. And as Roger said, many times, those workers are paid under the table. So they've not contributed anything to that, nor the employers, anything to the unemployment trust fund, but yet they will be taking money out, which would mean uh, a a bigger burden on that. And uh, the trust fund has been spent down. We owe almost a billion dollars to the federal government. So why don't we take uh, these COVID funds and pay that back instead of going to small businesses. Uh, in studio with me is Greg Lopez, candidate for uh, governor here in Colorado. And it's great to have you here. Good morning, Kim. Thank you for having me. And so you were one of the directors here in Colorado for the Small Business Administration. That's correct. And so what's your thoughts on this? Have you really had a chance to, to kind of kick the tires on the unemployment trust fund? Well, I can tell you this. I mean, you, you go back and remember the state auditor did an audit on that trust fund, you know, and it showed that they misplaced over a billion dollars. You know, they can't find it. So you have to ask yourself, why is it that the governor and his staff can't truly understand that, you know, we must be stewards of the people's money. And we have a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that we utilize those funds accurately. And I haven't had a really an opportunity to dig deep into this issue, but it really is concerning. Well, it, it is. And the budget that um, I, th- I think it's been signed, uh, it's, the, it's, an, it's a record. It's a record state budget. And here we have gone through the COVID-19 China, uh, China, COVID China virus reaction, disruption in the economy. Many of our small businesses have closed, but yet government has grown significantly. Uh, yeah. Think about it. So if, if we didn't have this stimulus money coming in, where would we be? I think if you look at the budget, you'd see that we would be upside down. You know, they talk about the economy is doing really great. What they really don't think about is the amount of people that have moved to Colorado. And so when you look at more the velocity of money circulating in communities, yeah, there's more money because people are moving in here. But when you look at are we really doing better? Are we really looking at are we being good stewards, like I said earlier, about our money. And this is really that something that I'm going to do as governor, is I'm going to make sure that we protect the people's money. And we're not wasteful. I'm here to tell you, you know this as well as everybody else does, 30% of the state budget, up to 40% is fraud, waste, and abuse. If they Really? really that yeah, much? Yeah, it is. You know, And so what we need to do is make sure we utilize the taxpayers' monies correctly. 
What about this? Uh, I I consider it vote buying and Polis the four hundred dollars that is going to be coming out to everyone, like he's. Um, like he's gifting it to everyone. It's actually Tabor money, as I understand it. And he may be speeding up that delivery that could coincide with people going to the voting uh, booth. Or, well, I guess we mail it in now. But what's your thoughts about that, Greg? You know, it's really interesting, right? Because if you look at what he's doing, not only is he saying, I'm going to give you a stipend, right? I'm going to give everybody $400 or everybody $800, depending on how you filed. But if you look at the legislation, they're modifying the formula. They're modifying everything about how Tabor, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, was supposed to allocate those funds back to the people. And you're right. They're doing this on a projection. It's not really what has actually occurred. They're projecting into the future that in 2022, there's going to be an excess of revenue. And so what this is, is this is kind of like an advancement. Now, they also caution people to say, well, it'll be okay as long as inflation doesn't keep going up. It'll be okay if... Exactly. You know... You know, the governor is really, we all know, okay, that he's pretty clever as it's, how do I leverage my my op, mm-hmm. my opportunity to get reelected? People are seeing through this. You know, the $400 really isn't much. And so when you look at what he's doing, he really is, in my opinion, my humble opinion, he's trying to buy votes. Well, and the polling must show that he is very vulnerable because he's doing a number of things. He looks like he's trying he's, he's trying to come t- to the middle, appear that way, and uh, he tries to appear as somewhat of a libertarian. But my gosh, remember during COVID a number of the things that happened. Remember all those highway signs to yep. stay home? Remember there was a dad that was right. in a park that was arrested? The mass mandates, all those executive orders. Um, and through all that, many elective surgeries were... Uh, were canceled, and people need to remember that uh, it was him and his cronies, uh, and he may try to appear like he's stepping back from that, but he appoints all the people that are at the head of all of these bureaucracies. So what would you do about that, Greg Lopez? Well, I want to remind people, you know, you remember when the first mask came out, and we have a copy of his uh, Facebook posting where he said he calls us selfish bastards. Oh, I remember. Remember that, that? Yeah. he called us selfish bastards if we wouldn't wear the mask. What kind of governor does that? I want to remind people also. He told our children, if you get the vaccine, don't tell your parents. Don't tell your parents that you're going to go get get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of misguided policies that have come out of the governor's office. And you're right. He controls these bureaucrats. He tries to hide behind them. You know, he hid behind Fauci with his whole thing because he panicked. He truly doesn't understand how to follow the science. He uses those words like he's really intelligent. But when you look at the science, you really understand that he has no clue about what he's actually doing. And more importantly, Kim... He really looks at those numbers as if they're a balance sheet of a financial statement. He doesn't look at those numbers as if these are people. These are families. And like I've told people before, when he shut down the state of Colorado overnight, he shut down over 685,000 small businesses across the entire state of Colorado. And I'm here to tell you that 40% of them are gone. It breaks my heart, Greg Lopez. And you know what? And when he says he was saving lives... I'm here to tell you, he destroyed families. He destroyed their livelihoods. He destroyed their futures because he panicked. He doesn't understand how to handle disasters or these types of things. And it's evident. It's evident of what he did to our kids. And so we need to remind people because he's hoping 
he really is hoping that we will forget. That we will forget, yes. And and sometimes uh, people need to, as you say, need to be reminded. So we're going to go to break. In studio with me is Greg Lopez, and he's a Republican candidate for governor. And uh, we'll talk a bit about uh, you know what you envision here for Colorado. Also, you got top line yes. down at the uh, state GOP assembly. And uh, so before we do that, though, A, I appreciate all of you who support us. We're this independent voice, but I also have a number of great partners. And Hooters Restaurants has been a great partner of both the shows for many, many years. And um, I got to know them when I was on city council. It's, it's really a freedom story. And uh, anyway, they've been great sponsors of the show. They have five locations. That's Loveland, Westminster, Aurora, Lone Tree, and Colorado Springs. And they've got a burger special. They're keeping the line on it right now at $11, Monday through Friday. All of their, uh, and uh, let's see, that's all day, every day. And uh, they sound great. Mushroom Swiss burger, bacon blue burger, a Southwest burger, Western burger, a mac and cheese burger, and a Cali burger. So be sure and check out Hooters Restaurants. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back with Greg Lopez. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N, Com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. And uh, this Saturday, 8.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., Helen Raleigh and I are conducting our third media training workshop. And we do still have some spots available. And uh, it's um, Helen, Just she was just recently on Newsmax. She's on national news on a regular basis, a senior contributor to The Federalist. Um, she's written for The Wall Street Journal. And uh, we would love to have you join us. So you can sign up for that at my website, KimMunson.com, and um, we'd love to have you join us. In studio with me is Greg Lopez, and uh, candidate for uh, governor on the Republican side. First of all, uh, congratulations. You received top line uh, down at the state GOP assembly. Were you surprised? You know, Kim, you know what? I Like anything else, right? You're very hopeful because you've worked hard, and we've been working really hard traveling the state, sitting down with people, talking about our vision, talking about what we feel Colorado should be, and it was very humbling for me to make sure that we got the vote, you know, and so we did get top line. So I think it really sends a strong message that the Republican Party is understanding that the Hispanic community and diversity is really important, but most, but most of all, that we have a message that is resonating with a lot of different voters because the issues we face today, they're people issues, and it's impacting everyone. Well, and it seems that uh, sometimes uh, they forget that it's people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in order to win, mm-hmm. uh, it, it will not just be Republican votes. Uh, it's going to have to be unaffiliated and Democrats as well. And, Greg, with as far 
it's to the radical left that this Colorado Democrat Party has moved. I really think that there's an opportunity with blue dog Democrats, unaffiliated, libertarians, Republicans, and conservatives. How are you going to garner that vote? You know, I've been talking to a lot of people, and if you look, if you read some articles, and I've been reading some articles, some studies, and you're absolutely correct, right? There's more and more people that are saying, you know what, this is not the country, this is not the state that I want to see for me and my future for the, my family. And so I've been out there. We're going to be, just to give you an idea, I believe we're the only governor candidate that's going to have a booth at the Cinco de Mayo Festival downtown Denver. We're also going to be in Greeley. You know, we're going to be out with the people. I want to make sure that the people understand that I'm accessible. I want to hear their concerns because it's important for them to feel that they do have a governor that is not only compassionate and has empathy of what's going on, but most importantly, wants to hear the challenges that they face every single day. Well, one of those, I think, Greg Lopez, is big government and rolling back rules and regulations and taxes. And as you said, being good. I mean, my gosh, if you could get rid of half the fraud, yeah, that would be a significant amount of money that uh, would be back, I think, in people's pockets. And That's right. So that would make a lot of sense. And uh, I know that you're a veteran. Mm-hmm. And uh, was it Air Force? I was in the Air Force. Okay. Yes, okay. yes, yes. And then a small business owner. Yep. And then with the Small Business Administration. That's- so I want to ask you a couple of hard questions. Sure. And there's two things that need to be addressed. And one of them was uh, many years ago, uh, there was a domestic... Mm-hmm issue. Right. Okay, so tell us a little bit about that. So 28 years ago, you know, my wife and I, we did have a domestic that occurred. You know, I was a sitting mayor. It was never hidden. It was, you know, I was on all the local news, you know, Channel 9, Channel 4, Channel 7. I made the Denver Post. I was in the Rocky Mountain News. Never was there anything that says this is being hidden. You know, and Lisa has a great video that explains from her perspective what she feels occurred in that in that situation. You know, I tell people, look, we, we're, we're all imperfect people, mm-hmm. and we had an imperfect moment. But we've been married 34 years, and we want people to really learn from our experiences because domestic violence doesn't discriminate, you know, whether it's income or, or whether it's low or high. But this is something that we've learned from, and we're going to help people. We've been helping people to understand, you know what, marriage counseling is important. When you're struggling, you need to go see your pastor or talk to others because marriage is a commitment. And sometimes we stumble, but you know what, if you really love each other, you'll be able to overcome this. And so, you know, we're not uh, going to hide behind it. We're going to speak about it because we believe it's important. And so that's one of the issues that occurred. But you know what? We were uh, we were both charged, you know, with harassment. Uh, with that's each interesting. Other. It was, you know. And so she had her attorney. I had my attorney. And it was a deferred judgment. So basically what it meant was for two years, if we didn't find ourselves again involved with law enforcement in any capacity, it would be like, you know what? This never occurred. We went to marriage counseling. We went to nine sessions. You know, and so it, and those were court ordered, and those are really helpful for us to understand how to better communicate. Okay, twenty-eight. Year, I mean, all of us have things that have occurred in our lives, and we always 
work to do better. And and so I appreciate you addressing that. And where could people find this video that Lisa has done? You know, they just need to go into the YouTube and just say Lisa Lisa Lopez, mm-hmm. domestic violence, and it'll show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she uh, gave a great speech down at the GOP assembly as well. Yeah, you know, she's my biggest asset. You know, she's my best asset because she really is a first lady. When you talk to her and you meet her, you really realize, you know what, she's got the heart, she's got the compassion and the drive to not only help um, females, but our children with all the challenges that we face here in the state of Colorado. Okay. The other thing is there's this um, charge or uh, uh, lawsuit, or explain this to me as well, this other thing that's out there that needs to, well, to be addressed. I, as you know, right, we're, as governor, they're going to find, they're going to try to look for everything and anything. What was it? Was it Mark Twain that said uh, you could do your, you could check out your family tree or you could go into politics and uh, you, they'll find out for <laughs> you or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so mm. you know what, there was a situation when I was the director of the United States. Small Business Administration, the Department of Justice waited five days prior to the five-year statute of limitations. Now, I want to make sure people understand this. I was gone from my position for over four years, 360 days, before the, the Department of Justice filed a civil lawsuit against me saying that I had violated a rule, that I was trying to use influence to change the direction of a decision that SBA was forced to, was asked to be making. And so, you know, they first said, there were two things that happened. I sent an email, right, to a former boss of mine asking him if he could follow up on this. And when did that happen? That was 15 months after I had left. So I left SBA in 2014. I sent an email in July of 2015, okay? Okay. And so uh, I just asked him, can you follow up with, because you know this, and people will agree with this, that in the federal government, things always get lost or things sit on desks, and people don't know why aren't they moving forward with Mm -hmm. these types Mm -hmm. of applications and so forth. So I sent an email. I didn't get a response. I didn't follow up on it. And the Department of Justice claims that that email was worth $54,000. That's how much damage they believed I had, I had contributed to the federal government by sending that email. And so... How did they arrive at that? It's some statute of some sort that they, okay. you know, that they just look at. Um, and then the small business owner called and said, hey, uh, we haven't heard anything. And I said, well, let me make a phone call, see if I can help you. I made a phone call to a former uh, colleague of mine. And they said, hey, Greg, you know what? I really can't talk to you. You're not with the agency anymore, and you're not the client. And I said, that's fine. I said, can these small business call you? And they said, of course. Well, the Department of Justice said that that phone call was worth $102,000. This is a damage that they believe I, I had put on to the federal government. So they did a civil lawsuit. I'm here to tell you that it And this was five days before? The five-year statute of limitation expired. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. You know, so you have to ask yourself, why why this? Why does it take them so long, Mm -hmm. right, to come up with this type of things? Now, I have all the evidence, and I'm more than happy to show it to people because the Department of Justice wasn't interested in what I had to say. They didn't want to look at my side of the equation. But I have documents, Kim, that show that I was never aware of this so-called rule. It's kind of like a two-year probationary period. But the attorney that was supposed to give me that debriefing never gave it to me. There's even reports internally of SBA that shows that they were not out-processing high-ranking officials properly. 
and they were held accountable for that. So there's a lot of things that are going on internally, right? And people just want to say, well, you know, Greg, you were charged, you settled. I did settle. You know, I want people to understand that I know what it feels like when the justice system really comes down hard on you Mm -hmm. and they really aren't interested in the truth. You know, I ended up settling for 12,000, actually it was $15,000. Okay. Okay. Because my attorneys would say, you know, Greg, it's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars to fight this. You know, it'll be years out of your life. And really, the, the Department of Justice can keep filing motions and appeals. And, and they have unlimited funds because they have the people's money. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so they say, you know what, you got to really evaluate this. By the grace of God, I ended up with an attorney by the name of Mike Norton. Oh, and Mike okay. Norton is a former head of the Department of Justice in this area. And when he looked at the case, he goes, I can't believe this is happening to you, Greg. This is really something that what he considered low-hanging fruit. He says, this is really nothing that, under my administration of the head of the Department of Justice, we wouldn't pursue it to this extent. And he basically told me, he goes, look, you know what this is. I said, yeah. The only thing different about me and everybody else is I'm running for governor. And when the press did call me after they sent a press release, the Department of Justice sent out a press release after I settled, I said, look, I'm walking in a meeting. I'm more than happy to talk to you. And here's what the, the reporter said. He says, no, Greg, I only have one question. I said, what's that? Are you still running for governor? I said, yes. He goes, that's all I need to know. So when you look at this, and I'm going to put this, all these files, all the charges, all the resolutions on my website. We're going to put it up there for everybody to see and the timeline. Because I truly believe that, you know, people need to understand that the Department of Justice and our justice system oftentimes, you know, is not interested in the truth. They just want to get a conviction of some sort. And I know many people that say, you know, I had to settle or I had to plea bargain because I didn't have the resources or the money Mm -hmm. to have the attorneys to fight my costs. Yeah, and you can just look at an attorney and it's 3000 bucks, right. you know, for sure. So we've got, uh, I appreciate you addressing those things. Uh, we've got just a few minutes left, where, and we've got a really interesting guest in the third and fourth, uh, third and fourth segment, Dr. Walter DeThority, who is uh, one of the authors of the Mesa County Voting Reports number three. Wow. Which will be very interesting. But wh- how do you want to button this up, Greg Lopez, uh, today as we're with our listeners? Look, I just want people to understand, you know, I'm a candidate that's always going to put people over politics. I really care about the future of every Coloradan. I recognize that there are 64 counties in the state of Colorado, not nine. And I'm going to do the decisions that I believe are in the best interest of everyone, because it's about all of us, not just some of us. And right now, we all know that if we continue down this path that the the current governor has us on, Colorado will become California, and Denver will become San Francisco, and our safety, our communities will deteriorate. He's ripping apart the very fabric that makes our community strong, and we need to get that back. And so I just want people to know, if you really want to change, if you want Colorado to be the Colorado that we can all be proud of, then you need to stand with me. Go to my website, lopez2022.com. Read more about me, but more importantly, we the people must take our state back because we're heading in the wrong direction. Well, Greg Lopez, uh, yes, this is this 2022 election is so important, uh, particularly for Colorado, because I feel that Colorado is at the tip of the spear of all this. I do want to ask you one other uh, other question before we go to break, and that is, I think it's 1279, that terrible abortion bill. Um, 
tell us where where do you stand on that? Did you testify I on did. that? Okay. You know, Lisa and I testified. You know, we waited until two thirty in the morning. You know, it went into the early mornings, and we testified on that. I testified at the Senate. You know, and here's the thing. Now, did you testify audio or audio? Okay. Right. Okay. I went on a Zoom call. Okay. You know, and I testified. That is pure evil. What they've done with that bill is they basically have said that there is never any life inside the womb of a female if she's expecting. You know, and this is really, we've lost our moral compass. That was a, t- a clear indication to me that we've lost our moral compass, at least the legislatures have, mm-hmm. because I don't believe the people of Colorado truly understand what just happened there. Right. You know, and I'm going to look to uh, repeal it. I'm going to look to get rid of it because it is just plain wrong to be able to do that to our innocent individuals. Right. And what that is, is uh, House Bill 1279 is in its past, uh, is that... Uh, and the governor signed it. And the governor signed it. I thought he might not sign it. And I, I thought he'd ju- just let it go into <laughs> law, you know, I think after 30 days. But he actually signed it. His yeah, name is on that. And what it says is that you can abort a baby right up until the time of That's birth right. here in Colorado. And uh, so thank you for testifying on that. We're going to go to break. I am really looking forward to this next conversation. Greg Lopez is in studio. We'll be right back with Dr. Walter DeThority. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned REMAX realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national levels. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. Medical freedom and personal choice are both sacred to comprehensive patient-first health care. At Roos Medical, our providers honor those rights diligently in every appointment. Located in the Denver Tech Center, Roos Medical is a functional primary care clinic with specialties in hormones, thyroid, gut health, detox, and COVID recovery. Establishing care with us is a text message away at 303-569-6794. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. Roos Medical is a proud member of Colorado Healthcare Providers for Freedom. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Americans Veteran Stories with Kim Munson, Sunday afternoons at 3, here on KLZ 560 AM and KLZ 100.7. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And uh, thank you for all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. In studio with me is Greg Lopez. He is a Republican candidate for governor. And again, what's your website? It's Lopez2022.com. Okay. And this uh, next conversation is a very important one. And it is with Dr. Walter DeThority. Am I saying that right, uh, Walter? 
yes, I tell my students it rhymes with authority. Doherty uh, the authority. Doherty the authority. Okay, great. I, I want to uh, put a bit of your uh, bio out there. You're a computer consultant and also senior lecturer emeritus in the Department of Computer Science and Engineering at Texas A&M University. You graduated from Oklahoma Christian University with a degree in mathematics and then earned a master's and doctor's degrees from Harvard University, where you you attended and uh, received the prize fellowship from the National Science Foundation. As a computer expert, you've consulted for major national and international firms and for government agencies. You helped develop the National Computer Keyboard Standard and invented integrated user training within computer applications, as well as various electronic computer interfaces. Um, I'm not even sure I totally understand your bio, Dr. DeThority. Well, let's just say that I've uh, been working in the computer field since 1962 when I was a junior in high school. So I guess I was a computer pioneer and didn't realize it at the time. (laughs) Okay, well, your credentials are significant. Uh, And uh, you are one of the authors of the Mesa County Voting Systems, the third report on this, and I have uh, read the executive summary. I've re- I've been on a call to try to understand this, but this is really concerning. What it looks like that you found. So, where should we start with this, Doctor Authority? Uh, well, if you go back thirty years ago or so, we had a relatively transparent voting process. People marked ballots by hand. They were counted by hand. So it was a 99% transparent process. But then starting about 30 years ago, uh, we began to use computerized voting machines and went to a zero transparency process where ballots go in and numbers come out and we have no idea what happens in between. Were the votes counted? Were they ignored? Were they altered? Were they deleted? So. For the first time in Mesa County, Colorado, we actually got to look inside one of those machines and see what happened. So Jeff O'Donnell, who's the co-author of the Mesa County, Colorado Voting Systems Report Number 3, is a database expert. And what he found was uh, lots of things that shouldn't be there and some things that should be there that were not. And so this is the first time we've had a look inside the machine and and what we found means that voting machines cannot be trusted and therefore we need to go back to hand-counted paper ballots. Okay, and another thing that it looks like happened was these different batches of 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 voting or uh, ballot records. So explain us, explain that to us. All right. As uh, votes come in by mail uh, before election day and or on election day, they're grouped into batches of about a hundred and then they're scanned. That is basically just taking a picture like your cell phone would take a picture of something. So the scanner takes a picture of the ballot and then saves the picture in something called a tabulation database. A database you can think of as just being a filing cabinet. So it's got a bunch of drawers and each drawer has a bunch of folders and each folder has a bunch of spreadsheets in it, except they're kind of super spreadsheets because 
they may have things that say this column can only be a number or the one spreadsheet may say go look on another spreadsheet to find the value for the for this cell so that's what a what a database is so the batches of ballots the, the images get taken so digital pictures are taken and they are loaded into the tabulation database then they go to something called adjudication which is a technical term that just means let's decide how this ballot voted so if you had ovals by each candidate's name you're supposed to fill in the oval a hundred percent and not make any other marks on the paper so if the machine looks at a ballot and it sees candidate A's oval is completely filled in, candidate B's oval is completely blank, the machine says, I know they voted for A, count one vote for A. But I know this will come as a surprise to you, uh, people don't always follow directions. <laughs> and so they may put their pencil down on uh, oval A, make a small mark on it and then say no I think I'll vote for B and make a small mark in B and no I'm really going to vote for A and go back and fill A in two-thirds well depending on the settings of the machine it may say anything over 90% full count it as completely filled in anything less than 10% just ignore it it's a stray mark I know they voted for A anyway but if it's ambiguous then the machine will kick it out to a human. So one of the clerks in the office will then look at, not the ballot, but the picture of it, the, the ballot image on their computer screen and try to decide if it's clear who they voted for. So in the situation I just described where one oval is mostly filled in and there are only some tiny marks elsewhere that are distracting, the clerk can say, yes, I know who they voted for. and tell the computer count this as a vote for A. Other times people, instead of filling the oval in, will make an X across the oval. Okay, that's not what the instructions said, but the clerk can say, I can tell who they voted for, and so count that as a vote for A. But what if the two ovals are both half filled in? Then that's an overvote. So if they're half filled in, the machine can't figure out who they voted for, the human can't tell for sure who they voted for, then that race is ignored. So the rest of the ballot would be processed, but that particular race, whatever it was for, President, Senate, uh, or in the case of Grand Junction, the city council election in April of 2021, then that's an overvote and, and that race would not be counted. So that's the adjudication database that says now we have determined how each ballot voted. Then the counts go in to the main election results database. So that's what is supposed to happen inside the Dominion machine. That ballots are scanned, there's a digital picture taken, they're entered into a tabulation database, then they are adjudicated to determine how did this ballot vote and then they're counted. That's what's supposed to happen. However, when Jeff O'Donnell, my co-author on this report, looked inside the machine, and by the way, the only reason we were able to do that is because Tina Peters, the county clerk and recorder in Mesa County, had made a backup before 
the Minion technicians installed a new version of software and erased all of the files from the previous election. Now, federal law says you have to maintain election records for a minimum of 22 months after the election, and Colorado state law is even stricter. It says you have to maintain election records at least 25 months after the election. So when the Secretary of State notified uh, Tina Peters that Dominion was going to be installing an upgrade to the software, she asked the technician, is this going to erase anything? And they said, yes. And she said, well, you're not going to erase anything on my machine until I make a backup. So she made a backup. They came and installed the uh, new version of the software. And then she made another backup. And those two uh, disk images then eventually were analyzed by Jeffrey O'Donnell. And what he found was that instead of the process that I described where Ballots are scanned, they're entered in a tabulation database, they are adjudicated to determine how each ballot voted, and then they're counted in the election results database. There were not one but two tabulation databases, and not one but two adjudication databases, and they weren't the same. Wow. Okay, and we're going to go to break here in just a moment, Dr. DeThority. But um, my understanding, because I've read the executive summaries of the Mesa County uh, Report 1, 2, and 3, that there were 29,000 logs, is that right, that were either, they were, I guess, erased and overwritten, and then there was um, 675 that totally disappeared or something like that number that would be very critical regarding election integrity. So... So they they overwrote those. So I guess they did get rid of that information then and overwrote some of those. And again, I'm not an expert. So you're talking to me and probably a lot of my listeners. So explain that to us before we go to break. All right. The logs you're describing, uh, there are a variety of logs inside the system that keep track of things like who logged in with what username at what time. Um when was the election database created, Uh, when were reports generated, when was it cleared, and so forth, were there any internet connections made or not. So all of the activity inside the machine is recorded in in a variety of logs. However, they were set for a very small size. So essentially the logs were only keeping track of the last few days of activity. And when it filled up, let's say it was set for a seven-day size, then on the eighth day, it would overwrite the log from eight days before. So by the time we got the images in May, the information from the November 2020 election was long gone. But by federal law and Colorado law, that was supposed to be kept, right? All election records are supposed to be maintained, and obviously that's an election record as who logged on to the election system and what time they did. So those records uh, are are gone. We we can't determine that. The, The second database that I described when it was created, it was after about a fourth of the votes were counted, and they copied some but not all of the ballots. 
So that effectively made, in the case of the November 2020 election, it effectively made 5,500 ballots invisible to the clerks. So if they had gone back later, this happened on the third day of early voting, October 21st. So if they had gone back and said, let me take a look at ballot number 237 again, they couldn't see it. So some of the ballots were copied, but not all. And then some of the ballots that were copied got a different result when they were adjudicated. Oh, my gosh. Okay, we're going to go to break. We're talking with Dr. Walter DeThority. He is uh, one of the authors of the Mesa County Voting Systems Report Number 3. I'm I'm sitting on the edge of my chair to find out what's going to happen, so stay tuned. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to The Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of uh, freedom versus force, force versus freedom. On the line with us is one of the authors of the Mesa County Voting Systems Report Number 3, and that is Dr. Walter DeThority. And uh, the credentials that he has is absolutely amazing. He was, uh, uh, let's see, he taught, he taught many areas of computer science and engineering for 37 years, 32 years at Texas A&M. Uh, he studied, uh, let's see, he received his degrees at Harvard University. And Dr. Walter DeThority, in studio with me is Greg Lopez, who is a candidate on the Republican side for governor. Greg, uh, what's your, your questions right now? Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm very concerned about what I'm hearing here, right? And so, Dr. DeThority, I have a question for you. So... It's clear, right, from what you've determined that information was erased. And I find it very interesting that there are some people that believe that that's not even important, that information got erased, when clearly the federal rules and the the state statutes say you must not erase them. Share with me what is their, the other side's, the other side's opinion about this report, and maybe you can share some logic as to why they're taking the positions that they're taking. 
Well, the, the main response to the report, uh, you know, if you don't like the message, smear the messenger. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jeff O'Donnell has been designing and supporting databases for 40 years. He's uh, uh, the quintessential database expert. You read some of my credentials. So the response article that was published a few days after the report went public uh, March 21st was uh, these guys don't know what they're doing and if they found something was changed inside the machine they must have changed it themselves so just totally bogus response okay uh, yes if, if you don't like the message then uh, you smear the messenger uh, as I look at the credentials of both uh, you and uh, Jeff O'Donnell um, uh, clearly, you you gentlemen have a lot of experience. Okay, so we were talking about, you said that there were not one, but two records or data. Explain that to us, Dr. DeThority. Uh, right. I, I said it rhymes with authority, but it's really Doherty. Doherty. Okay, uh, but, sorry about that. I like to get it right, and I've been trying to practice. Doherty. No, it, it's no problem. <laughs> um, and so my students when I before I retired um, uh, when they would email me they weren't sure how to spell Doherty because there are a lot of ways of spelling it and so they started calling me Dr. D for short. (laughs) Maybe I'll do that. (laughs) uh, But but let me just walk you through the the databases in the November 2020 election. So the total number of votes in Mesa County, Colorado by the end of the election uh, I think was about 91,000. Uh, so let's just say neighborhood of 100,000. So as the mail-in votes were being processed, when they got to about 25,000 votes, so that's about a fourth of the ultimate total. So on the third day of early vote counting on October 21st, they had about 25,000 votes in the system, which had been scanned and tabulated and adjudicated to say we've determined either automatically by the machine or with the human uh, judgment what this what each ballot voted for and counted them. So about 25,000 ballots were in the tabulation and adjudication databases. Now suddenly at this point, a little after two o'clock in the afternoon on the third day of early voting counting, a second tabulation database was created and of those 25,000 votes, only about 20,000 were copied to the second database. Not only that, the ones that were copied then were flagged to say, we haven't evaluated them, evaluate them all again. And when they adjudicated them, one of the same ballots popped up and the operator said, you know, I've seen this ballot before. So there was something unique about it. Maybe it was one of those where they made an X across the oval instead of uh, filling it in. And so the clerk said, well, well, I've already processed this one, but I guess it didn't take. I'll just do it again. And so she uh, marked it as being a vote for candidate A or whatever. And then she noticed that the counter hadn't incremented. So when the screen comes up and says, you've looked at 37 ballots so far, here's another one for you to look at. Then when she adjudicated it, the count didn't go to 38. And she said, we've got a problem. 
So they called Dominion, and Dominion said, we'll see if we can reproduce the problem uh, in our office. Uh, they called back later and said they weren't able to, uh, and the rest of the election, that didn't happen. So in a nutshell, of the first 25,000 votes, about 5,500 votes were not copied to the second database. So they were still in the first database, but the clerks could no longer see them. So they were essentially invisible. And so what that meant was by the end of the election, in the results, the results said we had a total of 91,000 votes, but there were not 91,000 ballots left in the system because the clerks could only see the second tabulation database. And on the adjudication database, when the presumably the ballots that were copied, so about 5,500 ballots were hidden and not copied, of the ones that were copied and re-adjudicated, it was a different number of ballots that was re-adjudicated. So if you have the same program looking at the same ballot image, it ought to get the same answer. If it doesn't get the same answer, somehow that ballot image was different. And one of the things we noticed is that they were missing the authentication files. So there's something called a secure hash algorithm, SHA, which is kind of like a fingerprint that you can attach to any file. It doesn't have to be an image, any file, such that if anything in the file is changed, the fingerprint will no longer match. And all of those files are missing. So there's supposed to be an SHA file for every ballot image. None of the ballot images in the Mesa County election had the SHA files. Okay, now let's fast forward to March of 2021. Grand Junction had a city council election and Mesa County runs the election for the, for the city of, of Grand Junction. Almost exactly the same thing happened. During early voting counting on March 30th, before the in-person election day, a new database was created for the tabulation, a new adjudication database was created. Some, but not all of the ballots were copied over into the new databases and re-adjudicated and the ballots selected for adjudication by a human were not the same. So the final result in Grand Junction, the election I think was uh, April 6th, um, the four people who won the open council seats won by a margin of about 3,000 votes, but there are 8,000 votes that are unverifiable in the system. So we have no idea who actually won that election. Oh, my gosh. Dr. D, I'm going to <laughs> just go with that. We have a couple of minutes left. Could the, could these changes have been made by somebody in the clerk's office? Uh, that's one possibility that we considered. So, uh, you know, like any good detective, Sherlock Holmes always makes a list of suspects and then starts ruling out uh, ones to get to the most likely one. So one possibility is that this was a human action, either deliberate or accidental. There is one scenario where a new database, tabulation and adjudication database would be created. And that would be if there were some 
catastrophe, like a massive power outage, and they had to shut down the entire election and start over and rescan everything. So if they had done that, that would have created a new database with, with zero ballots in it. That didn't happen. So Jeff O'Donnell, my co-author, interviewed multiple people in the clerk's office multiple times, and they all said, no, nothing like that happened, and I didn't know it. And from his experience in talking to them, he said, and they don't p possess the technical knowledge that it would take to do this by hand. So after studying this for six months, Jeffrey O'Donnell could sit down at a keyboard in the election office and type in the 157 commands to do this. But a clerk in the, in the county office could not realistically have done this. So that leaves two other possibilities. And we've got, well, we've got 30 seconds on that. So what are they? A remote hacking, someone made a connection and made the changes. We can't tell because the logs are erased. We don't know if there was any internet connection. And then the third possibility is that it was pre-programmed to do this. That after a fourth of the votes have been counted, if it's not going the way you want, then create a new database, copy some but not all, to achieve the intended result. Um. Oh, my gosh. My friends, go and read these reports. You can find them at TinaPetersForColorado.com. Dr. Walter Doherty, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Thanks, Kim. Okay. Greg Lopez, it's great having you in studio. Thank Again, you, what's Kim. that website? It's Lopez2022.com. And our quote for the end of the day is Marcus Aurelius. He says, you have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you will find strength. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you and God bless America. It's the Kim Monson Show, analyzing the most important stories. I find that it takes work to get your brain around these ideas, and it takes work to engage in these conversations. The latest in politics and world affairs. With what is happening down at the State House, I used to think that it was above my pay grade to read the legislation, and it's not. Today's current opinions and ideas. I see big danger in as much as we will be giving an unelected bureaucrat the power to make rules about what we inject into our body. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured, valued, you have purpose. Today, strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, you were made for this moment. Uh, Colorado is uh, definitely at the tip of the spear. You are here for a reason. And we do this show um, because we're searching for truth and clarity, looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And my friends, it's never compassionate to take other people's rights, property, freedom, or livelihood via force, whether with a weapon policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, or that latest uh, silent thief. It's not so silent. Actually, it's more of a sledgehammer, and that's government-induced inflation. And, of course, the Davos group, the elites, Klaus 
uh, Schlob and that whole group about their vision for our life. This just came across the, the wire, and I, I get to work with a, a tremendous team. And that is producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Jen, Echo, Charlie, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. Uh, happy Thursday to you, producer Steve. Yeah, I don't have the uh, alliteration to go with it yet, but yes, happy Thursday. Well, Patty actually said we should call it terrifying. Now, you're saying positive words, but she said it could be terrifying Thursday because we still have uh, about two weeks of this Colorado legislative session. Yeah, well, after the session is over, then I still have to find something. So, uh, hey, was that a whirlwind first hour or what? I tell you what, people, I, I, I may need to go re-listen to that from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. That's going to be rebroadcast. As you know, we broadcast live 6 to 8 a.m. The first hour is rebroadcast 1 to 2 in the afternoon. And then the uh, second hour is rebroadcast 10 to 11 at night. And then we do have the uh, show, show uh, summary as well as the podcast posted by the end of the day. But we talked with Dr. Walter Doherty, who's one of the authors of the Mesa County Voting Systems Report, the number th- the third report. And I, I, I don't know quite what to say regarding all this, Steve. It's just remarkable to me that uh, they're smearing the messenger instead of really looking at the message on this, Steve. Well, he gave us an excellent uh, path through the forensics. You know, we know that there's so many people here in the state and had been saying from day one, nothing to see here, move on. And then the heavy hand in this coming out of the Secretary of State's office. Uh, and then this, this legislation, 153, Senate Bill 153. Exactly. So there, I mean, if more people could hear what we just heard, they say, wait a minute, not so fast. So I would recommend each and every one of you go to TinaPetersForColorado.com. Uh, the three Mesa County, Mesa County voting reports are there. They're long, but it ha- they have a lot of data in them. But read the executive summaries. And then I'd say re-listen to this show. I'm going to have to do that, so I understand that. But let's continue on. We've got everything jam-packed in this show as well. Our quote for today, I went to Marcus Aurelius. And... Um, He was born, let's see here, in 121, and he died in 180. He was a Roman emperor and Stoic philosopher. He was the last of the rulers known as the Five Good Emperors and the last emperor of the Pax Romana, an age of relative peace and stability for the Roman Empire lasting from 27 B.C. to 180 A.D. And he said, when you rise in the morning, think of what a precious privilege it is to be alive, to breathe, to think, to enjoy, and to love. And each day is a blessing. There's that old saying, Steve, and that is uh, each day is a gift. That's why they call it the present. Oh, clever. (laughs) I get a chuckle out of it because you don't normally think of Roman emperors thinking in those flowery terms. I I mean, Hollywood has made them all to be the, you know, type guys. Yeah. And yeah, and uh, I I love to go to him and for many of his quotes. Um, We have Stephanie Luck, Representative Stephanie Luck on the line. Before we get to her, this bill of the day is the one that we talked with uh, Roger Hayes about earlier this week. He was on the show and he's a great sponsor. He's the CEO, president of uh, Passio HR. But this is regarding the Unemployment Trust Fund and the COVID-19 China virus Reaction by government here in Colorado drained our unemployment trust fund. And to Patty's point, instead of um, spending money, and I'm paraphrasing, on pet- 
projects that these politicians have, we have had such an influx of federal money into the state. And so why not use that money to pay back what we owe the federal government from the unemployment trust fund loan that they gave us? And then... Uh, also replenish it. But instead, this particular bill, and there's, it's a bipartisan bill, uh, but uh, what it, one of the things that it allows is that un- undocumented illegal alien workers, which are typically paid underneath the table, so therefore the employer is not paying those employment taxes, it will now let them take money out of the unemployment fund. And that just doesn't seem like it's right. And also, they're going to be issuing, it looks like, bonds. Who's going to pay those bonds back? It'll probably end up on the backs of our small businesses. So even though there's a lot of flowery talk out there from both sides of the aisle, this this looks like this is ultimately could very much hurt businesses in that Senate Bill 2234. Uh, and so it'll probably pass. But I, I think it's going to make it more, even more difficult on our small businesses here. But on the line with me is Representative Stephanie Luck. Uh, welcome to the show, Representative Luck. Good morning. It's great to have you back. And you are uh, concerned about those that were hurt because of COVID-19, the China virus. And you have a survey. And Zach has put it together. We've got it on my website now that people can go to my website and complete that. And so tell people about that because at the time we didn't have an exact place to go, but it's now on my website, Representative Luck. Thank you so much for posting it. That That is really significant and important. And I, I greatly appreciate it. As you know, it's linked to the resolution that we've put forth to apologize for the people to the people of Colorado for all of the COVID policies. And what we're looking for is just is just data and stories from folks. Um, we still don't know if the resolution will be calendared in the committee that it has been sent to. But if it is, and folks aren't able to participate in the committee hearing, which would be our number one preference, then we want to be able to say, we've put out this survey, and the results back show, you know, this many people have been impacted as a result of what happened to their kids at school, or what happened to our hospital-related policies, where they couldn't visit folks, or they couldn't have non-essential surgeries done, um, or this is the number of folks who have lost their business, etc. And we just think that that will be very impactful as we make the case that as leaders, we have a responsibility to take accountability for our decisions and to recognize the harms that our decisions have made and to apologize and to seek a better course the next time around, if ever there were to be, which hopefully not. Do people need to identify themselves if they go in and take the survey? Unfortunately, because we're we're concerned about spam and and bots and all of those things that take place in the tech world, um, you do have to put your name in a, a unique email address, but that information doesn't have to be made public. And so if you just put in the, in the comment section, you know, please leave my name out of this, then we'll be sure not to say your name. Um, but really, we're just aggregating that data is our, our intention. We're, you know, not well, wanting to share and Representative Luck, we need to have people do this within the next few days because the session is going to be over, uh, what, two weeks from yesterday? Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So it, go ahead. We, we have 14 days left of this legislative session. And so um, if this 
resolution were to be calendared, then it would be within those 14 days. So you're absolutely right. The sooner the better so that we can get that information, aggregate it, and prepare it and have it ready to go in the event that they schedule last minute our resolution. Okay. And if you go to my website, Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com, Zach has put it up near the very top. You just click on that and the survey comes up and then uh, you can hit the submit button and that will go to uh, where you want it to go, Representative Luck. What about the next two weeks? I know that uh, it's going to be a long two weeks for our representatives and our senators that are are really trying to prevent a bunch of this bad stuff uh, from happening. Yeah, so, you know, just for your listeners to have context, here in Colorado, we're a citizen legislature, which means that we are only allowed to meet for 120 calendar days. And we are in, you know, day one of Six, I guess, today because we only have 14 days left. In the first roughly 100 days, we processed through 296 bills. As of Monday of this week, we still had 335 bills left to get through. So think about that for a minute. In, in 100 days, we did roughly 300 bills. In the last, you know, 20 days, we're expected to do another 335 bills. A number of these bills have just recently been introduced, and so the opportunity to vet them, to stakehold around them, to even be able to read them fully uh, is minimized, just truly because of the, the speed at which we're going. And so that's problematic from a good governance standpoint for obvious reasons. How do you make good policy when you're just rushing all of these things through? But also... Um, it, it provides the minority with an opportunity to slow things down and to hopefully allow for things to die on the calendar because there's simply not enough time to get it done. And so for those in your listening audience who, who pray, um, please pray that we have the stamina to continue to try and slow things down and keep as many of these bills from being brought into law as possible. Well, definitely. And so slow these things down. Then the election in November, we need to to um, elect representatives of we the people that will will uh, be our representatives, not try to lord over us or govern over us. And uh, so we've slow that down. And then we need to go to work for this 2022 election as well. Uh, Representative Luck, if people want more information about you, where can they find it? Um, my website is stephanieluck.org. Okay. And that's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E, right? Yes. Stephanie Luck, uh, stephanieluck.org. Thank you so much. And again, that survey that uh, will help uh, Representative Luck is on my website, kimmunson.com, regarding uh, the things that you experienced during the COVID-19 China virus reaction disruption. Representative Luck, I know that you're probably off to the Capitol if you're not there already. I am. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kim. Okay, you bet. We're going to go to break. When we come back, uh, Colonel Bill Rutledge, retired Air Force, um, is on the line with us. And he he really has, over his experience, has looked at so many different issues. And I found that he's just a wealth of knowledge. And I wanted to get his perspective both on uh, Roe versus Wade, as well as his own personal COVID-19 China virus experience. So we'll be right back with retired Lieutenant Colonel Bill Rutledge. 
The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned Remax realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national levels. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea. You shouldn't have to force people to do it. Uh, I'm really honored to have on the line with me retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Bill Rutledge. Colonel Rutledge, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning, Ken. We've had a lot of great conversations, and I actually got to meet you in person earlier this week when Dr. Jill Vecchio and, Dr. Jill Vecchio and I presented at Perspectives 101, uh, and so it was great to get to finally put a name and a uh, face together. Well, I felt the same way. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's talk about Roe v. Wade. Uh, you are really a deep thinker on so many different issues. And Colonel Rutledge, um, how old are you? 93. 93 years old. And so you are sharing all of this uh, wisdom with, with us. But Roe v. Wade, what's your thoughts on that? It was a um, Supreme Court de- decision back in 1973. It looks like it may be overturned. Colorado, because of that, these legislators and this governor have put in place a law that that says that a baby could be aborted right up until the moment of birth here in Colorado, which is unbelievable. I, I really don't, I think that's probably not okay with almost everybody out there, if you really think about it, Colonel Rutledge. Well, I think um, eventually there'll be a challenge to this law in Colorado, just as there have been challenges to the various laws of other states, but for different reasons. The other challenges have been because they have been protecting the child, whereas Colorado is neglecting the child. And about two years ago, I um, had studied enough about Roe versus Wade that I wrote a personal letter to every member of the Supreme Court, all nine. And um, I have a copy of it here in front of me. It's dated February uh, 20th. 2020. So it's over two years ago. So this was before there were any questions about uh, some of the new state legislations, like the challenge, for example, the University of, I mean, to the state of Texas, the pending challenges for Mississippi and Alabama. So I wrote this in anticipation of them having to face up with some of these decisions. And with all the technology 
and information that we had gained uh, since 1973. So I think one thing would be helpful is for me just to read very briefly what I wrote directly to the members of the court, if that's agreeable with you. That'd be great. All right. The subject on it says Supreme Court decisions. It says all Supreme Court decisions are subject to review, especially in light of changes in society and science. It is an absolute truth that five or more judges are not infallible. Consequently, their opinions have been reversed as more relevant facts become evident. And we know that their their opinions have been changed m- many more times than I will make reference to. My first reference, of course, is, 19, is 1857, the Dred Scott decision. And the decision in, at that time was relating to ownership of slaves who were taken into northern uh, states that did not have permit slavery, and specifically into Wisconsin and Illinois. And the decision by the by the court was that they could be required to come back to the southern area where they were property. Um, this ultimately was changed by the Emancip- Emancipation Proclamation, which President Lincoln enacted, and then subsequently by the 13th and 14th Amendment. Then another, the next big one was in 1892, and this was on separate but equal. Uh, it's a case called Plessy versus Ferguson. The state of Louisiana uh, had a law that said it would be all right to have uh, two railroad cars, one for black uh, members of the community and one for the whites. And uh, this was challenged. And the Supreme Court said, no, that that would be fine. This would be called what would be separate but equal facilities or services. Um, Then that subsequently grew into the school system, the theaters, and all other public accommodations. So it established this precedent of separate but equal. And this lasted until 1954. Again, it was a reversal. Brown versus Board of Education, in which they destroyed the concept um, and that that opened the door and things that transpired since then. Um, then we had Roe versus Wade, 1973, and this revoked state laws that prohibited abortion, and that this was the case in most states at that time. However, at the time there was a consensus that an abortion related to an embryo or fetus and not to a child or a person. Since that time, scientists advanced to the point that it can clearly be proved that the evolution from conception to birth is predictable. A baby's heart begins to beat at the third week of pregnancy. A baby's brain begins to produce brain waves in the sixth week. Unique fingerprints are evident in the tenth week. The mother can feel the baby moving by the 14th week. The baby can hear by the 20th week, taste by the 26th, eyes and response to light by the 27th, and the baby's normally born in the 40th week. Paragraph. Since Roe versus Wade, there's been a development of intrauterine surgery, 
which has become common for um, the capabilities of technology, and also ultrasounds and other technical developments, clearly show the photographic progress towards birth. And the evidence shows clearly today that we're talking about DNA and uh, genetic, all these determinations of the health of the child and also the sex of the child is evident now, which was not evident in 1973. And with all these facts here, then I charged the, the court, I said, with all of the above factual data, it's time for the Supreme Court to approve some state legislation that protects the unborn or newly born child. That would not likely preclude first or second trimester abortions to protect the mother's life and or cases of rape or incest. So that's the extent of the letter that was sent to the court two years ago. Okay, and uh, yes, uh, uh, all of this, this is a very well laid out argument. And Colonel Rutledge, I... Uh, I've heard the the term in case of rape or incest uh, or to protect the mother's life. And um, I've realized that there's been some really great thinkers that have been uh, conceived in possible rape uh, situations. And um, the, the child that was born has gone on to great things. So I'm 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 really moving towards. Uh, well, public policy is so difficult, but I'm, I th- really want to engage in this battle for life, and it's a battle of ideas. And, uh, and so I really think that life is precious from day one of conception, Colonel Rutledge. And your comments on that one, then we're going to go to break, and when we come back, uh, we've got Karen Levine on the line uh, for just a little bit. And then I also want to talk with you about COVID-19. So what's your thoughts on that, uh, well, Colonel I, Rutledge? I fully, I fully agree with you, and we have within our own family situation where I have a niece who was adopted and um, she was adopted because the mother was unmarried in the state of Kentucky the father was a soldier uh, at one of the posts in Kentucky and they both agreed to the adoption process she became a part of the family because they had not been able to conceive after 10 years of marriage and um, she is a marvelous daughter for both her mother and her father. Oh. So adoption is a very, very suitable and desirable option for those who um, choose to pursue it. I agree. Adoption is a great option. So stay on the line, Colonel Rutledge. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll talk with Karen Levine. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. 
That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. I so greatly appreciate that. And on the line with us is Karen Levine, a a longtime friend of mine, sponsor of both the shows, uh, REMAX uh, award-winning realtor. Karen uh, Karen Levine, welcome to the show. Good morning, Kim. Okay. Uh, Just came across the wire. The U.S. economy shrank 1.4% at the beginning of 2022, and the uh, pundits were looking for an increase of 1.1%. That's a pretty big swing there. And you and I have been watching public policy, uh, and this is a public policy issue. It's not Putin. And uh, Fox News, in fact, said that it's because of inflation and labor shortages, which has been government-induced. And I know that you, on the local, the state, and the national level, are involved with the Realtors Party because you want to protect private property. And and inflation is a kind of that silent thief there. What's your thoughts on all this, Karen? Well, I think we've just seen a lot of things happening, as you said, Kim, with public policy um, that's occurred over what, the last 12 to 18 months, that the effects of that policy are being felt by the homeowner, by the property owner, by the citizen. And with the move in interest rates, that has caused uh, some of our buyers to lose buying power and to either get out of the market or have to shift their price range down. And I was going to speak on the new home market, which there is opportunity in the new home market because there have been very long interest lists on lots of homes that are coming out of the ground, and many of those buyers have gotten off those lists because they've lost their buying power. That breaks my heart because... Instead of paying rent to somebody to make them rich, if people can own their own home, they create equity for their own home. And I know that you're working hard on public policy on this. I know that you're still you are still helping people get into homes. It's it's um, requires creativity and and somebody that's been in the business for as long as you have been. Uh, you you know all the ins and outs on this. And if somebody's looking at a new build, it is good. The first meeting when they go in is have you on their side of the table to help navigate that, Karen. Exactly. And the buyer or the builder um, community is very receptive to buyers having representation. All they ask is that I attend their first visit to the uh, community and I want to do that. I want to be able to give them guidance with regards to walking through a model home complex where things are extremely upgraded so they have an understanding at the base price what, what they're actually buying and to let them know kind of the process, let them not know kind of, but let them know the process of what does the builder expect from you on the front end, what is your building timeline. And I just went through that last night. We went over a builder contract with a client, and I think she feels really comfortable moving ahead. 
knowing that, you know, the builder is protecting the builder. The builder is not protecting her, but she's got me to advocate on her behalf. And I highly recommend that, Karen Levine. And uh, what's that phone number? How can people reach you? The best way to reach me is 303-877-7516. That's Karen Levine at 303-877-7516. Karen, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. That sounds great. Okay. And a couple of things I want you to know before we uh, continue with uh, Colonel Rutledge is uh, Helen Raleigh and my media training workshop this Saturday, 8.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Uh, you can register at my website. And would, uh, we have a few spots available, so we'd love to have you join us. Also, uh, the U.S. Marine Corps Memorial, the USMCMemorialFoundation.org, is remodeling the Marine Memorial out at Colfax and 6th Avenue. Paula Sarles and the whole team there is, is working to raise the money for that. A great way to do that is to buy a brick to uh, honor your loved one who uh, is a veteran or in military service. And uh, go to USMCMemorialFoundation.org, and you can do that there, or you can just donate, because it is so important important that we remember these stories. That's why we do our show, America's Veteran Stories. And then lastly, the shows come to you because I have these great sponsors. And another one of those is a Kirsch Insurance Group. They're specialists in the Medicare arena. And uh, they are, uh, work with uh, many different carriers here in Colorado. They're brokers. Uh, and it doesn't cost you anything to work with them. But again, to have a professional on your side of the table is uh, really a great thing. And so more information for that is at ikirsch.com. That's I-K-I-R-S-C-H dot com. And uh, last segment of the show, uh, you can call in, get your questions ready, 303-477-5600, 303-477-5600. Colonel Bill Rutledge, uh, we talked about Roe v. Wade in the previous segment, but I want to talk about your own personal COVID-19 China virus experience. Uh, so tell us about that. Well, I um, first had a symptom on February the 11th, two years ago, 2020, and uh, I thought I had food poisoning. Nobody knew what the symptoms really were. It was very early in the virus, and uh, then I had chills, and I didn't. I I lasted at home for about a week because I didn't know what I had. I thought I really believed it was just something that was within my digestive system. However, I kept getting weaker, and so on the 18th of February, 2020, I went to Poudre Valley Hospital in Fort Collins and to the emergency room, and they did a test very quickly and diagnosed that I was a positive with the virus. I asked right then, I asked the doctor in the emergency room, I said, I would like to have some hydroxychloroquine because I understand that this was used on the president, his wife, and his son last summer with good effect. And I was told emphatically that the hospital did not have faith in this medication and we could not receive it, period. Now, I later did much research to find out why this was done. But the the long and the short of it was there was no procedure for those who are already sick there was too much concentration on developing the, the inoculation with the assumption that that was going to stop this virus. And to, to the neglect of the millions of people all over the country 
who were being diagnosed and put in hospitals in IUVs because they needed it badly. They needed the treatment. So I went there. I was in the hospital. And within 24 hours, I was advised that my wife had been admitted for the same uh, designation. And um, she did have a pre-existing condition. She was 91. Uh, her breathing was restricted. Um, she'd had many other ailments, but her vitals were basically good. But yeah, had she been feeling bad at home as you were when you were? Pardon? Was she feeling um, badly at home like you were as well? No, not, not at all. Matter of fact, when I came to the hospital, I had no indication that she would have any illness at all. Uh, it came as a complete surprise to me. But once I was told that, I knew that she had a breathing problem, and I was very pessimistic about her chances. And I thought, again, if we had had some sort of medication, perhaps we would have had a chance to survive. Uh, it turned out that within a few days, we were both on a high dose of oxygen, and on the night of the night and early morning of the 25th of February, we were both on 15 liters of oxygen. Uh, any more, and they would have put me down into the emergency area and probably hooked me up to some mechanical device, which I didn't want to do. And since we were both on that same amount, I was uh, there was very little chance for Virginia to survive. But I didn't know this. They kept this information from me, which was smart. So I didn't know that until several weeks after I was home and was on my, on my way to uh, returning to a normal health, which um, still took many months. What happened with Virginia? Virginia died on the morning of the 25th of February um, at the age of 91 in 2021. And... Uh, that was one of those situations where I was so weak I could hardly understand. Um, the one thing that was gratifying is that I was um, asked by one of the nurses, said, well, would you like to go in and share in this room? They have a double room, and you can have a bed in there and also. And I said, well, I, I really wouldn't like to because I wouldn't like to see her suffer. And, and the nurse recognized the significance of how serious her condition was my wife's way. And she said, can I take a message to her? And the last message I sent to her, I said, tell her that I love her. Um. So she died on the morning of uh, 25th of February. How long had you been married, Colonel Rutledge? 69 years. Wow. We started going together when she was 14 and I was 15. Oh, Oh my. So you grew up in the same town. We did. Okay. Okay. And you were so weak at that time that you really didn't understand what was going on. Uh, and No, no I, 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 I didn't. Uh, this was intentional on the part of the 
the hospital people, and I think it was a smart procedure. Um, I'm psychosomatic, and many people are, so it's wise not to always tell them um, all the bad news, um, because their, their objective, of course, is to heal you and to get you where you can go home. Uh, I, I was told that I would not be able to leave the hospital until I was able to reduce my oxygen to four liters um, and have it at that level for two consecutive days. And that's about what happened. And I was also told that when I went home that I must have oxygen on site and I must have some people who would be available for 24-hour-a-day care for an undetermined period of time. And I was very fortunate that one of my daughter-in-laws was a nurse with 25 years' experience, dating all the way back to uh, San Francisco in the 80s when AIDS was everywhere out in San Francisco. So she was there, and she was a person who, quite frankly, uh, probably saved my life. And um, we have just a couple of minutes left. Colonel Rutledge, how did you, so Virginia did not survive. You did. Um, and uh, fortunately, you did not have to get on any of the machines because I understand that was typically the outcome is not great with that. Um, did your body just finally start to heal? Or I know you'd ask for hydroxychloroquine, but you didn't receive any. Did you receive anything that helped your body to heal? Or was it just that you made it through? No, uh, they they gave you um, an IV uh, while you're in the hospital uh, continuously. This was so you were not dehydrated. Um, they did give, and they did blood work every morning uh, to see what your progress was. They they had a system, and they gave what they could. The problem was that the hospitals and the doctors were restrained from using their experience and from using medications that were already in existence and had been proved. Um, and because of that restraint, this caused, this caused hundreds of thousands, probably millions of deaths, uh, certainly in America and around the world. And I really recommend that anyone who has an interest in knowing more about this they should read the, the book, The Real Anthony Fauci. Uh, I read it. Uh, I got a copy within two weeks after it was published, back in uh, last December. And it was the scariest book I've ever read in my life because it, it, it indicates decisions that have been made that were counterproductive that led to the deaths of many people. Oh, my gosh. Um, Colonel Bill Rutledge, I so appreciate you as a guest, and we're going to have you on regularly because uh, sharing the knowledge and wisdom that you've learned over 93 years, uh, I love sharing that with our listeners and, and that you'll share it with me as well. So, Colonel Bill Rutledge, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you for the opportunity. Okay, we're going to go to break. When we come back, it's the call-in time, 303-477-5600, 303-477-5600. I want to hear from you and call earlier versus later because sometimes we get jammed up as we get to the end of the show, and I want to hear what's on your radar. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Medical freedom, patient choice, and informed consent are all staples of comprehensive health care. You'll find exactly that at Roots Medical, located in the Denver Tech Center, offering specialties in hormones, thyroid, gut health, detox, and COVID recovery. Functional, comprehensive, primary health care. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your health care concerns. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. Roots Medical is a proud member of Colorado Healthcare Providers for Freedom. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. I greatly appreciate that. We uh, search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you should not have to force people to do it. Uh, it seems if it's a bad idea, that's when you have to force people to do it. And uh, call in time, 303-477-5600, 303-477-5600. And on the line with me is Johnny in Denver. Johnny, welcome to the show. Yeah. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine that has a moving company in Englewood. And because he does the right thing and he doesn't hire illegals, but there's no paperwork, um, he says that they're still paying people to stay at home, but they're not, they're not promote they're not advertising that they're doing that. And he said um, he's having a hard time hiring people. And, and he's, he's hiring, you know, some people just in the office for $22 uh, an hour. And this is ri- ridiculous that they're still paying people th- these high sums to stay home. And then uh, Lying Biden is saying that uh, uh, no, no problem here. We're, we're getting all these jobs out there. And and he's not addressing what Harris like to say is the root of the problem is all this government money being thrown at these people just to stay home so they can have side jobs and, and live a, um, what I going to say, like um, the, the communist lifestyle. Uh, yes. So Johnny in Denver, uh, and I mentioned it earlier, it just came across the wire that the U.S. economy shrank 1.4% at the beginning of 2022. Uh, marking at the worst quarter in two years. Of course, the economy was shut down two years ago because of the COVID-19 China virus reaction disruption. And uh, and the economists were expecting a 1.1% increase. So this is about a 2.5% swing in the economy. 
And uh, Fox News reports it's because of inflation and supply chain issues. Both of those are government-induced by the uh, uh, terrible Democrat policies. Of course, Biden's probably going to come out and say that it's Putin's fault. Uh, But uh, I know that you are so concerned about what is happening here in Colorado, Johnny, that you are running for a state house. So uh, tell people a little bit about that. Yes, uh, it's um, uh, House District 5. So uh, the the website is uh, Johnny, that's J-O-H-N-N-I-E-J, for Colorado House District 5. And uh, all the information is up there concerning what I'm running for, how I uh, want to uh, solve problems and, and give really the power back to, to, uh, to the people. And, uh, and, and as in my, my friend, he's paying this, these charges for the unemployment. So it's, it's, he's, he's, he's doing well, but his profit, a lot of his profit is going towards paying people who worked for him, and then they went, they went off that, and now they're sitting home with the, unemployment, with the unemployment check, or he can't hire them at all because they're still making all this money with the employment. Being paid to be. So, yes, no no wonder that we're having uh, um, challenges for in people finding employees when you have the government, trying to compete with the government when they're giving away free money. And then also these small businesses have to contribute to the unemployment fund. It's uh, there, Johnny, it seems like there's been such an assault on our small to mid-sized businesses uh, here in Colorado and in America. What's your final thought on that? My final thought is, is um, we, you know, Greg Lopez, I, I, I heard him on the show this morning. I said, we got to get this guy out of there. And then we got to... You mean get uh, Polis out of there? Get po- yeah, get Polis out of there and, and start doing these executive... Uh, orders to, to reverse all this crap, like like uh, when Biden got in and he put in his executive orders that, that put us in this mess. Okay. And so what you're saying is get Polis out and then uh, get Lopez in? Is that what you were saying? or Yes, and then start reversing some of this, this destructive stuff that he's been doing. Okay, okay. Johnny in Denver, thank you so much, and thank you for stepping up to run for House District 5. That's Johnny, J-O-H-N-N-I-E-J, for Colorado HD5. Is that .com? Yes, it is. Okay, Johnny, thanks so much. God bless. God bless you, too. And Mark in Elbert County. Mark, welcome to the show. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to caution you on using these government statistics um, for inflation or employment or what have you. You said it came across a wire. I suspect that's uh, government statistics. Um, instead, um, I would like to refer you to uh, shadowstats.com. Okay. John Williams. Uh, he's been collecting um, statistics on, uh, on inflation and other things uh, for businesses mostly. But um, he calculates inflation the way they used to, uh, the government used to uh, back in the 80s. But um, you'll find that it's uh, much higher, actually, if you, uh, if you use those formulas. And it's shadow stats. Is that right? Is that what you said, Mark? Yeah, shadow stats. Mm-hmm. Dot com. Dot com. Uh-huh. Well, I'll tell you what, it it feels personally like the statistics are much higher than what is being reported by the government. What What's your thoughts on this um, uh, contraction in the economy? Again, do you think that it's more than what just came across the wire? Uh, yes, probably, yeah. Um, the financial letters that I uh, read 
um, are uh, are predicting. Yeah, things are going to get worse. Okay. Yes, I know. I. I but the the positive thing about this, Mark, is that. Uh, I think it is going to, I think we're going to have to do some belt tightening. We need to be engaged in the, in the battle of ideas that is occurring right now. But every day we're closer to uh, pushing back, reclaiming our country. And I really think that, that we can do that. We're in a dangerous time, Mark. But I also think it's, uh, it's a time for us to step forward. Your final thought on that, Mark? Oh, agree completely. I mean, we've got to maintain hope. Um, and, um, you know, the, the things that you're uncovering, um, you know, as long as we can get the information out to everybody, um, um, will, I think, um, help, help a great deal. Um, we, the, we have the numbers, you know, we have, we, the people, if we can just get them educated and, um, find, you know, help them understand what's going on, I think, um, we can turn it around. Well, that's why we do the show, Mark and Albert. I greatly appreciate it. And again, that uh, that is shadowstats.com, shadowstats.com that he was referring to. So, Mark, have a great day. Mm-hmm. Thanks. And we probably have time for one more call, 303-477-5600, 303-477-5600. And there are so many people that have never run for office before that are stepping forward to do that. Uh, They understand that something isn't right, which is going on here in Colorado and in America. Here in Colorado, I really think that we are at the tip of the spear, um, and um, we're here for a reason. So I would love to have you join us tomorrow, or excuse me, Saturday. Helen Raleigh and I are conducting our um, media training workshop, and that is from 8.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. You can register at my website. That's Kim Munson. M-O-N-S-O-N.com, and will really help you as you prepare for gotcha questions uh, when you're out there in front of the press. And it's also just a great class to take to engage with your neighbors and your friends and your family and your colleagues because as we look at mainstream media, we can't trust that. And as Mark and Albert just uh, commented, we probably can't really trust these official numbers that are coming out as well. And uh, so it's, it's important to be able to understand how to address all of those things. This has been such an important show. The first hour will rebroadcast today, 1 to 2. And Dr. Doherty, who was one of the authors of the Mesa County Reports number 3, really shed light on information on this. And uh, you can find all three of those reports at tinapetersforcolorado.com. That's tinapetersforcolorado.com. And Tina Peters is uh, a candidate on the Republican side for Secretary of State. And she has really been at the forefront of trying to make sure that we have free, fair, and honest elections. And this terrible Senate Bill 22153 that is uh, making its way through Um, the legislature uh, basically would centralize our elections all within the secretary of state's office. And I hope there's going to be legal challenges because it's probably going to pass and Polis is probably going to sign it, but it is totally antithetical to the way that elections are supposed to be run here in Colorado and also in our country. And so there's a lot going on. Uh, Did you want to say something quickly, Steve? I like the way you've run into situations where you're talking to these people and you say, it's like they're, they're never going to lose an election again. Well, just look at this 
this was, bill. Yes. Right. Could assure that they would never lose an election again. So, again, that's why we do this show is to help you understand what's going on out there. Our quote for the end of the show is from Marcus Aurelius. And he said this. He says, you have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you will find strength. So, my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, if honestly and authentically strive for high ideals. And like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America.